0: Amen. Amen. If you brought a Bible or if you have a smartphone, um, we're going to be today, we're going to look at a section in the gospel of Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. If you're new or just visiting with us, this is maybe your first time, like, around Calvary Southeast, my name is Ryan. I have the pleasure of being the senior pastor here at this church, and I'm so grateful again that you have chosen to spend part of your Sunday with us. Pray that you're blessed today. But Luke chapter 18, let me read four verses for us, beginning in verse 10. It says this, this is Jesus telling this story. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you like that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he, the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, the most important question in all of life is actually found in the Bible. I don't know if you know that. It's found in Job chapter nine, verse two, where Job asks this question, very important question. How can a man be right with God? Another way to ask that is, how will I know when I die that I'll go to heaven? how can I know I have eternal life? You see, in this scripture today, Jesus is telling a story and he has a target audience in mind. The audience he has in mind are those who are trusting in themselves and their own goodness as a basis of being right with God. And these type of people are not new. They're not exclusive to Jesus' generation, but they're found in every generation. People who think and say things like, you know, if I just try hard enough, then God will accept my efforts. If I can just be good enough for a long period of time, then God will accept me. Or if I'm just sincere enough, if I just mean it from the bottom of my heart, then everything will work out on that day. You know, I liken these people um, to, they have this view of God and they liken God to Santa Claus. They think that as long as my niceness outweighs my badness, my naughtiness, then I'm going to be okay with God, right? As long as my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then I know that God will accept me. Many people that I have personally talked to think, well, if I ask them that personal question, if you died tomorrow and you stand before God, why should he let you into heaven? The answer, the common answer, maybe you've said this before in your life or maybe you've heard this from others is, well, sure he would let me in because I'm a good person. And the reality is this thinking isn't just in the secular world, this thinking has made its way into the evangelical church. There are many Christians who have a tendency to approach God on that same basis. Their confidence in, in coming before the Lord, right? Their confidence in knowing, hey, my eternal like, security and salvation is based on their own performance. Maybe how much they've prayed. I've prayed a lot in my life. Maybe how much they've read their Bible. Man, I even know a full chapter memorized, right? Or you wanna know about how often I've missed church, a big fat organ duck sign, right? Zero, right? Like, no, I've, I've attended church every week. But in our story today, Jesus is telling us a story of contrast. This story contrasts two men. They prayed two different prayers and yet they have two different results. Look at verse 10 one more time. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So we're contrasting here two guys, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. And in the time that Jesus is telling this story, you couldn't have got two more extreme guys. These two, these two really represented both ends of the spectrum. One is a devout and devoted, holy, religious Jew, and the other is a Jew as well, but he's ungodly, he's unrighteous, he's, he's irreligious, we would call him secular. So you have this Pharisee, and the Pharisees were the most influential religious leaders in the day. The Pharisees all meticulously observed the law of God. There wasn't a law that you can find in the Old Testament that they wouldn't have kept. They prided themselves on observing and obeying every single law. These guys, we would call them very moral people. You might say the most moral people in town. They looked amazing externally. They had it all together, and people would have been awestruck by them. These guys would have been greatly respected and admired. They would have been held in, in high regard. That's the Pharisee. But the other guy is, is the tax collector in the story. Now, tax collectors, now we're like, we all know tax collectors be bad guys, right? Right? You're like, yes, I know the IRS very well. Like, no, like, tax collectors in Jesus' day, they were Jews who were hired by the Jews' enemies, the Romans, to collect taxes, not from the Romans, but from their own people, the Jews. And the, and, the, and the tax collectors, they weren't forced into this career. They deliberately chose this career. They deliberately jumped into it, signed on to it. And the Jews considered the tax collectors to be traitors, traitors of their own people. They had a reputation of being greedy and dishonest men, and they were despised by everyone. They were despised by the Romans because they were Jews and they were despised by the Jews because they were Jews working for the Romans. And so when Jesus spoke about these two different guys, the original audience hearing this story would have quickly realized and recognized the huge contrast between the two. It would have been like if I'm gonna tell a story about Billy Graham and Vladimir Putin, right? Like you can't get two more opposite people. One was the most religious guy in town and the other was the most hated of sinners in town. And we're told in this story that both of these men came to the temple or in maybe more modern language, in our context, they came to church and they both came to approach God. Now let's look at the Pharisee's prayer in verse 11 and 12. He says, "'The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, "'God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, "'extortioners, unjust, adulterers, "'or even like this tax collector.'" I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now, when I'm I'm assuming, if I could just picture it if you will, people listening to this prayer and again, the Pharisees are held in high regard. I could just picture this. Wow. Everyone just starts clapping and just taking notice of this guy's credentials. And he probably hears the clapping, says, thank you. Thank you very much. Right? But notice his body language. His posture is, is self-promoting. It's proud. It says that he was standing by himself. You ever known these people? people that are just so into themselves, they're in their league of their own. He's separated from himself, from everyone else. He places himself on a pedestal, looking down on those that he considers sinners. There's no reverence, there's no respect, there's no awe for the presence of God. And then he begins to open his mouth and he prays, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Men. This Pharisee had such a smug, self-righteous feeling. And if you can just get this idea when he, you know, he walked into the temple. This is how I kind of picture it. He walks in the temple, he probably finds the biggest Bible that he can find, tucks it here, his chest is out, his his chin is up, and he walks in, and maybe he's walking past a bunch of guys, and he says, Oh Lord, I thank you that I'm not like Jeff. (laughs) Oh Oh God, I, I, I thank you. I thank you that I'm not like Susie over here. Like, I just thank you. They're just, they're despicable, Lord. I just thank you that you created me to be me. And this is a dangerous mentality to have where we forget maybe where we've come from, where we forget, church, the pit that God has pulled us out of, where we forget all that God has done for us. But this mentality is a very real thing. And this religious guy says, God, thank you that I'm not like other guys, the extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, the dirty, rotten sinners. I'm, I'm, and I'm definitely not as bad as this tax collector, God. Thank you. Listen, pride is so Subtle that if we aren't careful, we will be proud of our humility. And when that happens, this is what happens, when our goodness becomes badness. We can easily become like the Sunday school teacher that I once heard about. After telling her class the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, she told her class, children, let's bow our heads and thank God that we're not like the Pharisee. Again, it can be so subtle. And so this Pharisee, this religious leader in in the community, he has the audacity to thank God for what he was not. But then he doesn't stop there. He begins to tell God what he was. Notice verse 12. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now, according to Jewish law that this Pharisee would be observing, it only required you to fast one time a year. But the Jews didn't think that was enough and so they upped it to twice a week. And he says, God, I do this for you. And knowing that he has an audience at this point, he goes on and says, guess what? I also give tithes of all, of all that I get. And people's reaction, wow, this God is the real deal. I want to be like him one day. I want to be able to give tithes of all that I get. I want to be able to fast twice a week. I can barely go, you know, two meals, you know, without being hungry. Like, you know, this is something that I'm going to aspire to. So spiritual. And that was the Pharisee. That's how he prayed. But now contrast that with the tax collector's prayer. He prayed in a completely different way. He said this in verse 13, he says, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Unlike the Pharisee, the tax collector stood afar off. That is, that maybe he stood in the, in the back of the room. Maybe that he, he felt like he wasn't worthy to, to enter fully into the church. Kind of like, man, I, I don't know if I belong here. I'm just gonna stand in the back. And and it says that he wouldn't even look up to heaven. You can just kind of get this picture that he's maybe, his head is just hanging low. He's discouraged by life. He's depressed by how his life has turned out. Maybe, just maybe he's walking into this church and it's his last resort. Maybe if this doesn't go well, he'll end it all. His bodily posture communicates humility and unworthiness. This tax collector knew and he understood that he didn't deserve to be there. And we're told here that he beat his breast. This was a symbol of mourning and remorse and brokenness in the Jewish culture The tax collector here is distraught about something going on in his life. And now notice what he prays. This is one of the most beautiful and amazing prayers in the entire Bible. I want you to notice this. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Let that sink in. When this tax collector opens his mouth, he prays and he acknowledges something very important. The tax collector acknowledges his sinfulness and he recognized his need for God's mercy and his grace. You see, the tax collector didn't deflect his sin. He doesn't make excuses for his sin. He simply says, Lord, here I am, a sinner. And he says, God, would you be merciful to me? You know, the Greek word translated for that be merciful, those two words, is actually the word for an atoning sacrifice. It's found only in one other place in the Bible, and that word is interpreted in English as propitiation. But it's the fullest sense of what the tax collector says was more like this, God, be merciful to me through your atoning sacrifice for sins because I'm a sinner. The tax collector knew he had a big problem on his hands and that is that he was a sinner of sinners. He came to acknowledge what the Bible says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is that he has missed the mark of God's perfect standard. And he knew that in order to be right with God, that's what we're asking, right? Like how can a man be made right with God? He knew that his sin had to be dealt with because the Bible says the wages of sin, that is the consequences of sin is death. So how? Can a man stand in a right relationship before a holy God? I'm glad you asked. Sin has to be dealt with. The Bible says that sin separates us from God. And because God is holy and righteous and perfect, he cannot just shrug off sin. He cannot just simply forget about your sin. He can't just turn a blind eye to your sin. No, payment is needed. The payment, sin needs to be accounted for. The penalty for sin must be paid. Either we pay it or God pays it. You see, in the Old Testament, God gave the Jews a sacrificial system of sacrificing animals. And by their sacrifice, it would temporarily cover their sin. But the the next time that they sinned, another sacrifice was needed. And you just see this continued cycle of sin and sacrifice, sin and sacrifice. But when Jesus came, his sacrifice was different. He became the perfect and eternal sacrifice where his death on the cross and the shedding of his blood didn't just temporarily cover our sins, but in fact, cleanses us from all of our sins once and for all. Amen? Amen? Through his death on the cross, we who believe in Jesus are redeemed from the power of sin and the consequences of sin. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe, that is, whoever would trust in Jesus would not perish, would not die, would be spared from the consequences of our sin and have in its place everlasting life. Why? Because God did not send his Son Jesus into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, God did what we could not do on our own. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect and sinless life, to die on a cross as a sacrifice for our sins. And he rose again three days later to conquer sin and death. Jesus gave his life so that we can have life so that we can be forgiven. And so when this tax collector cries out and he says, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's saying in essence, God, I need you to do what I can't. I need a rescuer, someone to rescue me from my sin. What a contrast. The Pharisee boasted in who he was and all that he had done and not done. But the tax collector simply beat his chest in repentance, pleading for forgiveness and the mercy of God. So we've seen two men. They've prayed two different prayers. And lastly, we see two different results. Jesus says in verse 14, he says, I tell you, this man, that is the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. If you're the original audience listening to Jesus telling this story your reaction is probably something like, what? (laughs) What did Jesus just say? They're blown away. Some of them, no doubt, thought Jesus completely got it wrong on this one. You mean Jesus to tell me that the Pharisee, the religious elite, the one that we look to for all of our questions is not justified but this tax collector is. Jesus turns everything that they believed upside down and he says, I want you all to know something that this very, very religious man that you hold in high esteem, this religious man in his self-righteousness went back to his house unsaved. He was lost. But this other man, being wicked and and being despised, he saw his sin, he saw his need and he came humble and he cried out for mercy and God heard his prayer and forgave his sin. And Jesus says, this tax collector went home justified. And people, that's what we want, (laughs) We want to be justified. We wanna be made right with God. You see, justification is the act of God where God declares a sinner to be righteous based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's actually a legal term. It's like coming in to the courthouse, right? Coming before the judge. You know you're guilty and the judge looking at you and saying to you, we dropped all the charges. They're, they've all been dismissed. You're not guilty. You're free to go. You're declared righteous. The basic definition of this word justification, I like it like this, just as if I'd never sinned. And that's an incredible reality. For you to think, I, I can be, like, I can have my life's, like, slate washed clean just as if I'd never done anything wrong. Yes! This is the amazing news of the gospel of what Jesus does for us. Because listen, people, God doesn't just give us a second chance to try harder. No, he gives us that second Adam. Where Adam failed in the garden, Jesus succeeded on our behalf. And we trust in his righteousness. We trust in his perfection as our own. Now, this justification that we long for, this sounds good, we're told that it happens by faith. We receive it by faith. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. This amazing news in this story is that the man walked into the temple, this guy, guilty, despicable, tax collector, who ripped people off because of his own greed. But that very same day, he walked out of the temple as righteous before God. You see, there's two approaches in life on how we can be right with God or how we can go to heaven. There's two approaches. One, there's the religion of self, and the other is the religion of grace. Either you save yourself, or God saves you, but they don't work together. And the Bible's very clear that you and I are not good enough to save ourselves, that we've all sinned, right? We've all fallen short of God's perfect standard. The Bible also says that no one is righteous, no, not one, And as good as this Pharisee was, he alone was not good enough to be accepted by God on the basis of his own goodness. Even, I I think I like to say, even if everything that he prayed was true, right? Maybe he really wasn't like other men, morally speaking, right? Perhaps that he wasn't an adulterer he didn't extort people. Maybe he wasn't unjust. And maybe he did really fast twice a week, And maybe he was super generous with his giving, but as good as the Pharisee was, he wasn't good enough to be accepted by God on the basis of his own righteousness. And let me tell you this morning, nobody here is. The Bible says that our righteousness, that is our good deeds are like filthy rags before the Lord. They don't measure up. That's why Titus 3.5 3 5 says he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he has poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What he's saying is that you have to be born again. You have to be born of the spirit. Some of you, you might, you might like to play the comparison game like this Pharisee. Well, I'm not as bad as them. You should see some of my neighbors, right? Man, they get drunk every night, right? I'm not, a, I'm not as bad as, as the dude in my work. He beats his wife, right? I don't steal from my job. Like I don't do these things. And listen. The reality is you will always find someone worse than you. But that's not the standard that we compare ourselves to. The standard is perfection. The standard is Jesus. And when we compare ourselves to him, we see how far we have fallen short of God's standards. We see our sin. So again, even though the Pharisee was good, he was not good enough. The Pharisee needed rescuing. Someone once said that the main barrier between Pharisees and God is not their sins, but their damnable good works. You see, the Pharisee was trusting in his external righteousness, all the while his heart was ugly and sinful before the Lord. And maybe that's you today. And I don't know all of your stories. There's a lot of you here today, but maybe that you would resemble with that. You would relate to that. Maybe that you, your, your attendance record at church is, is top notch. Maybe you own like 10 Bibles and all in different translations. And you might even know some Greek in the original language, right? You, you know these things. Let me tell you this. The Bible says that God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Jesus says that, I, he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me. That is that your goodness, your morality cannot save you. Only Jesus can save you. The other thing that we see in our story as we close is that as bad as this text collector was, and he was really bad, he had not fallen too low to be lifted by the mercy of God. If you're here today and you know that you're bad, (laughs) maybe your addictions are bad, maybe your actions are bad, the things that you're involved with that nobody knows about are bad. Maybe your life is just filled with darkness and maybe you thought to yourself over the years, I don't belong in church. God probably hates me. I've made a mess of my life. Maybe you feel like you've gone too far and God has simply just given up on you. Listen, there is hope for you. The fact that you are even at this event today, this church in the park, is evidence of God's love and pursuit of you. Let this tax collector be an example to you today that no matter how bad you think your life is, this tax collector wasn't too far gone. Corey Ten Boom said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Listen, God's mercy is available to you if you would just simply come to him. If you would just simply open your heart and receive his love. You see, in our story, we learned that both the religious elite as well as the notorious sinner are both in desperate need of God's grace. Both need God's mercy. And the good news, church, is that Jesus has done it all for us. And today we can simply come before him, repenting of our sins. That is turning away from our sin and placing our trust in Jesus in order to be made right with God. Would you bow your hearts and would you bow your heads with me as we close? I'm sure in a room this size that there are some today that you might not know Jesus Christ as your savior. And again, maybe you relate to this tax collector. Maybe you came here today thinking, I'm gonna stand in the back. I don't deserve to be at church. Maybe you feel too far gone. Maybe you've always felt that your bad deeds have outweighed your good deeds. Let me tell you, God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And his mercy today can be extended to you. But just like this tax collector, let me tell you, don't deflect your sin. Bring it to Jesus. Acknowledge your sin. Don't make excuses. Confess your sin. The Bible says that if we confess our sin that he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you don't have to shy away from God. Because of the blood of Jesus, you can come before God today, confess your sin, repent of your sin, and trust in his grace for you. You can call, like the tax collector, you can call upon the Lord, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But it's a decision that you have to make, right? Your grandma can't make it for you. Your mom can't make it for you. But you have to make it. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation and if that's you today maybe you felt far gone you you relate to the tax collector. you relate to the notorious sinner and you're hearing this message of god's love and his grace and his forgiveness that it is for you i want to invite you right now to wherever you're at just to raise your hand and say yes to jesus say i want to experience the forgiveness of my sin I'm asking God today, God, would you be merciful through the atoning work of Jesus Christ? Amen, God sees you, yes. Raise your hand and raise it up high. Say yes to Jesus. God, I want to give my life to you. I want to experience the forgiveness of my sins and walk in your love. To know that if I died today or died tomorrow, I would stand before you as just and righteous. I wanna give you one more opportunity to raise your hand. Amen, God sees you, yes. God sees you, amen. Anyone else? Raise your hand, raise your hand high so I can see it. Amen, amen, God sees you, amen. Lord, today, God, you know every heart here, and I just pray, Jesus, that you would just continue to speak to our hearts your love and your forgiveness and your grace. Thank you that we can come to a park like this on a Sunday morning, weighed down by guilt and shame, and we could leave this park liberated, set free by the blood of Jesus. Thank you for new life. Thank you for the hope of eternal life. If that was you, if you raised your hand during this last song, we have a, I just encourage you just to make your way over to the prayer tent. They just want to pray with you and they want to give you more information just about Jesus and more about what he's done for you. And we're going to have baptisms, So maybe if, if you raised your hand and you want to be baptized, like I know you didn't bring your swim trunks or whatever, but maybe today God would say, be baptized. But maybe you're here today This is my last call, then we'll sing. Maybe you relate more to the Pharisee. Maybe you have prided yourself on being super religious. You grew up in church. You've been externally really good. And maybe you can answer that very first question that I asked. You know, how can a man be made right with God? And you would just say, well, me and God are good. (laughs) Right? He's my buddy. Like, I'm a good person. Listen you too need to come to terms that there is nothing good in you. That before God, you cannot stand righteous. You cannot earn this salvation, but it is a free gift of grace. And my exhortation to you is stop striving to be made right with God. You'll never succeed, you'll only burn out. Believer in Jesus, you were saved by grace alone. And you are sustained by grace alone. Your right standing, believer, is fully anchored in Jesus. He loves you. Remember, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you're here, as we close, you need prayer for anything going on in your life. We have prayer teams just up here, ready and willing to pray with you and for you. Whatever's going on in your life, maybe you only know. Maybe you've been carrying a burden and you just want to release that burden to the Lord and, and just come and get prayer. They would love to pray with you.